Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the lower Columbia Pacific region. I am one of your hosts, Teresa Retzloff, and my co-host Jessica Schleif is with us today. Hello, Teresa. And we are both ridiculously excited to have our guest in the studio today. Um, we are speaking with Ketzel Levine. Welcome, Ketzel. Thank you very much. Woo, woo! <laughs> I know. So for those of you who maybe don't know, Ketzel um, has a long history in radio. Um, I, I started in 1974, that's, which is impressive given that I'm 50. That is so <laughs> impressive, and she absolutely is 50. Um, she looks young and uh, vibrant, and um, you've been a gardener for, like, how long? Not that long. I didn't get into gardening until... Let's see, the um, mid-80s. Yeah. I guess now that's a long time. I know. I think yeah. it's probably about when I started gardening, too. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I haven't been gardening that long. Yeah. And then you realize, you know, it creeps up on you. Yeah, I got, I got uh. into gardening uh, because I was in a horrific marriage. You've got Good a sad look honesty. on your face. No, 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 no. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> what a great way to deal with a horrific marriage. <laughs> I think maybe we've all been there. Uh, you know? <laughs> Little portions of time. I know. Really yeah, good therapy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, and you were, and, and you were a, a correspondent for NPR for years. Yeah, yeah. I joined NPR in 77, and I wore a wide variety of hats, and became a correspondent for, a morning, senior correspondent for Morning Edition, I think. That was in 2000, but I did, I did uh, start off in the arts at mm -hmm. NPR before Morning Edition, and so there were, if people remember, a lot of arts programming. Yeah. Was uh, there, you know, Folk Festival USA, Jazz oh. Alive, uh, Voices in the Wind, um, all sorts of stuff, classical yeah. music programs, and they folded quite a few of those to. Uh, to get the staff and the money to launch Morning Edition in 1979. Uh -huh. So I had been in the arts, and then Morning Edition started. And on the basis of the fact that I had been a New York Yankees fan... <laughs> really? Uh, um, and made my staff, where I, in the arts program I used to do... Um, uh, a Yankees catcher named uh, Thurman Munson was in a plane crash and died, I guess it was uh, 78, and I made my staff wear black armbands, <laughs> and on the basis of that attachment to the New York Yankees, they asked me if I would be NPR's sports director when Morning Edition went on the air. It was pretty amusing. Wow. Yeah, yeah I, I have deleted everything I learned. <laughs> How did you get involved in horticulture then? Because I mean, you used to, that was that was your thing for a long time. Truly, truly, um, I was living in a small town in upstate New York, and I'm talking about 300 people in a horrible, horrible marriage. And my next door neighbor was a plant freak, but she was an old fashioned gardener who had the entire gardener, the the entire garden uh, hooked up to a Miracle Grow IV. Oh wow! <laughs> Remember them? Oh yeah. Yeah, and she um, she had her perennials in rows, and she actually had them fenced off because she had dogs. So it wasn't that she lived in the garden, but she grew plants, and she and she had a nice cutting garden. And so I just glommed on to her, and uh, she took me to nurseries. And oh. um, I think I got hooked. Well, I know I got hooked by the Latin names of plants. That was what really did it. Really? That's what drew you in. Yeah, the nomenclature. that and and having and being out of the house with Mary 
you know, going to nurseries and then staying up all night, obsessing over plants and reading about them. And mm. int- sounds and, familiar. Yes. Yeah. And how oh, about yeah. this? You, this might sound familiar. So uh, I, this was my first introduction to garden literature. And I remember reading a book, and it was talking about the plants in the garden as if it were a village and that the delphinium was the church spire, and I just died. The community. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it was a nice introduction. I know. Gardens are just such beautiful places to learn about yourself Mm -hmm. and and find solace, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and obs- ob- obsession. I mean, I I don't romanticize well, yeah. gardening. I mean, no. you know, it's it's ob- it, it, it's an obsession. It Absolutely. is. I often say that I know. Uh, to, to neighbors or friends that look at things that you create and they're like, oh, I should, I could, and I'm always like, you know what? This is an obsession. You don't have to have this problem. <laughs> your minor, your minor gardening looks great. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. absolutely true. I know yeah. it's been so exciting for me to get to know Jessica because she's so passionate about a lot of those be- those beautiful perennials. She speaks Latin, which I don't. You know, and um, it's it's been bringing that kind of landscaping. I mean, just the horticulture back into my life again because I had to unlearn how to be a gardener. Being a gardener when I started farming, yeah. it was crazy. Those first years of farming and I was kind of trying to do a hybrid and it really didn't work and at a certain point I had to just go okay I'm a farmer it's very different you had to th- and I had to let a lot of plants go from my mm-hmm. life and so mm-hmm. they've been slowly drifting back in which is very exciting how to did me. you become a farmer yeah it was kind of crazy I um you know I always I loved gardening I started gardening in my you know late teens and um oh, so you started nice and early like 17 18 yeah and was was same, very same. interested and excited about it and I, it was just, you know, with that, I was in my, you know, early 30s and had that, you know, wasn't happy with my life, wasn't happy with the direction it was going in. And, you know, I couldn't think of what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to grow plants for a living. It's like, that's what I just settled down to. I want to grow plants for a living. Kept talking about it. And it was kind of like, I think I want to be a farmer. Mm. It was very weird because I don't come from farming families and, um, and, and fortunately didn't know enough to know that I shouldn't say, how hard could that be? You know, and so we, <laughs> that's how my husband and I ended up on the North Coast of Oregon and uh, and basically taught myself how to farm and sort of like 16 years later wow I, I feel like I kind of am starting to know what I'm doing yeah. Can, but do, it's, do you make a living I eh, partly I mean part-time I make a, like, my husband works full-time at one of our local breweries Fort George mm. and he sort of pays the mortgage right because um, unfortunately land out here is not priced to be farming land um, yeah so that's that's what keeps the property paid for but yeah the farms the farms on its own now. That's and pretty it good because t- I would have thought. And, I'm sorry. I would have yeah. thought that your decision to become a farmer was a decision to to uh, for, forget money for the rest of well, your life. Well, it would be really nice, and I think that's you know, in some ways, that's what you have to accept. You learn you learn yeah. a lot about poverty. Yes, um, <laughs> but you've got good food. But I'm yeah, yeah, really well. And, and I there think that yeah. for so many of us, that uh-huh. priority of having food that we really care about, yeah, food that we know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, T just took the jump and is feeding the rest of us. Yeah, that's well, pretty but, fabulous. But it's also, I mean, for me, it's also the. I mean, flowers were really flowers and herbs were were my passion. When we moved here, that's what I, I wanted to grow flowers 
cut flowers and herbs. And this was back in 2003. And there it was there really wasn't much of a market for it out here. And I kind of drifted into produce just because that's what everyone kept asking me for. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind oh, of exciting to come back around again. And now, you know, flowers and, you know, people talk about pollinator habitat and things like that. And there's a lot of interest in that. And so and the plant starts, we, we also started just accidentally because that first year we were growing, um, I didn't we, you know, I'd signed up for a farmer's market and didn't really have any produce to sell, but I had grown a bunch of plant starts for for us, and so I just brought them to market and sold plant starts, and people were very excited because it, it was there wasn't anyone else out here at that point growing plants on the coast for coastal gardens. So I was looking for varieties of plants that would do really well, um, that would thrive here, you know, and um, so that's been fun to kind of go through that and, and learn about those things. Because this is a transition. I mean, and I'm sure you've gone through this too. So you were most recently living in Portland. Yeah. Yes, yes, I was. You know, you said something that mm-hmm. intrigued me, that people are now interested in pollinator plants and have been. Yes. And in the, I don't know, what is it, 85, 95, 05, 15, in the 35 or so years I've been gardening, I've been, I, I've seen so many trends come and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I hope this is not a trend. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's put it this way. I mean, there are, there are levels of awareness that I think uh, are for keeps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do also think that there, that there are, is a slavish adherence to things as they come and go, mm-hmm. um, which is all. It's just. It's just quite cyclical. I, you know, I was thinking about that this morning it, uh, about native plants in particular. Um, we have uh, an. And we'll talk about this, but uh, mm. have an upcoming uh, speaker coming to um, uh, the uh, Hoffman Center for the Arts, where we now have a horticultural arts series. And she's talking about gardening myths. And one of the gardening myths that she'll be tackling, this is um, Linda Chalker Scott, um, is um, native plants are the best plants. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when we really started to uh, celebrate native plants. Mm-hmm. And I think this is pretty much like late 80s, early yeah. 90s. Mm-hmm. And I also remember from the get-go, and it was Michael Pollan, as a matter of fact, uh, in in the New York Times back then, who kind of tackled this slavish adherence to yes. native plants and mm-hmm. um, and and uh, 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 let's see, and challenged it as a as a very uncomfortable uh, version of extreme nationalism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, thank you for using that term. <laughs> there was another term that was floating around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and I absolutely agree with you. I think it's really right. And it's interesting because for me, when I think about pollinator habitat, I think about it more like, you know, building habitat for for beneficial insects and having that kind of community of insects. And for me, on our farm, some of the plants that are most beloved by, you know, by both native insects and honeybees are not native plants. It's true. Um, I think about the anise hyssop that grows on our farm that we grow for, for bouquets and also for sure. herbs. That is I mean, just, just like a lunch counter. It's covered. It is a lunch, lunch counter. counter. I could yeah. never not grow yeah. that plant. It's not native, but I would never not grow it because it's so beloved by well, all of even, these even to even to say mm-hmm. I might not grow something because it's not native. Yeah. yeah. Unless, of course, limiting. you have an agenda... 
and mm-hmm. you're promoting yourself exactly. as a native plant gardener. Or you're doing a demo garden. Exactly. I think that the term that I really loved during that time period yeah. as a young gardener, for me, um, Anne Lovejoy's term, native plant allies. Then I had an excuse <laughs> because <laughs> I was surrounded by, you know, the people that were like, oh, it's going to be a native plant garden and it's going to, and that's it. That's what it's going to be. And I remember reading that term native plant allies Mm -hmm. and i've used that so much in my own head and in my business and basically that means a plant that isn't invasive i mean more or less that isn't gonna yes maybe maybe (laughs) a plant that isn't a thug you've done your research Mm -hmm. on that but Mm -hmm. but allies that could form into a community with those native plants Mm -hmm. and i think that as we build gardens that are longer term we can see that that can totally yes i love that thank you for that i do love that yeah. And we're so surrounded by, um, by you know, native plant areas, and you know, with the, with the woods and the native par- um, national parks and state parks in this area, you know, so many of our houses butt up against forest or you know, open space that's wildlife habitat. And so I think having those transition areas, you know, your garden doesn't have to be, you know, adhere to a very strict set of plants, but you are in relationship with the areas around you. I, I, and I think that's a you know. That is a larger picture in our lives Absolutely. that this is good, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Binary thinking. Right. It Binary has to be a, a, an exact way. It's like taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. Yes, thank and you. And knowing that we can have that joy of that anise hyssop lunch counter, especially the one with those golden leaves. Oh, I know. That's a really pretty one. <laughs> Agastiki. I know. I, I, really, I really want you to talk about the um, – you mentioned the Hoffman Center – um, for the arts in Manzanita, and so this is a new. Pro- so you're you're a coastal resident now. I am Welcome a coastal to the coast. resident. Thank you. I closed on my house in Portland a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. And- yeah. Welcome. Yeah, thank yeah. you very Welcome much. Welcome to the coast. <laughs> You're you. living in Manzanita now. I am. I am. And you started a horticulture program. I did. I did. Um, uh, Manzanita and Astoria mm-hmm. um, are remind me a bit of the way that Portland was in the mid '90s when I got there. There was it was a small town, and there was a sense that if you if you had an idea and you had the energy to do it, that the doors were open and you could make it happen. Um, I mean, I remember getting on a on a um, classical music chamber music board, like I was nobody, and I was able to get on a board, which was unthinkable. I'd just come from D.C., uh-huh. and suddenly I'm able. My two cents about wanting to program more contemporary music was like somebody was listening. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so um, I got to um, Manzanita, and of course, in order to um, make friends uh-huh. and have a sense of community, what do you do? You volunteer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's the way of the coast. It's the way of the coast. <laughs> and so there had been established a small garden across the street from the Hoffman Center mm-hmm. for the Arts, which is I on Lanita Avenue. Yeah. So there was a small garden there that was on the grounds of the Hoffman home. And by mm-hmm. no means should you think that the Hoffmans were wealthy people who endowed. You know, they mm-hmm. were just good citizens who loved Manzanita and um, and left their, their property. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the gardener, the woman who had created it and worked on it for three years, was done. And she wanted to get back to her own garden. And uh, as I recall, there was also an issue of arthritis in her hands. And I'm mm. beginning to feel my hands That's already. So hard. Oh, yeah. And um, I was approached whether or not I had any interest in taking over the garden. And, you know, I thought about it for 30 seconds. 
and um, suddenly I had my way in. Yeah. And there was nobody, I hope no one from the Hoffman is listening, but there was no one to say no. I mean, you know, when I started to rip out uh, a lot of what was there, uh, raise money, put in other kinds of plants. And I, I don't mean rip it out because they were the wrong plants, but I had an agenda. And my agenda was to show the astonishing array, I mean, absolutely mind-blowing array of plants from around the world that we could grow happily on the coast. And it's like a small arboretum. Well, that's my, that's my goal. That's my goal. And then, um, you know, then I went, uh, I got plant labels and sat up all night, like, you know, punching out the names of the plants with the botanic name and, uh, and, and the common names. Mm -hmm. And then with, uh, with the help of a wonderful guy named Mark Kestner, who is my, uh, left and right hand man in the garden now, we're kicking ass, if I can say that. I mean, we're raising money and uh, and buying lots and lots of plants, and we've put in a manzanita bed, an arctostaphylos oh. bed, which is all natives. That's so great. <laughs> Segregated. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, integrating uh, all sorts of plants. So um, I'm having a blast. And as much money as I can raise is as much money as I spend to make that a really, uh, I'm hoping, a world-class garden. That what an so... inspiration. I what know. chutzpah. I feel, I, feel <laughs> the, yeah. I feel the feeling inside. <laughs> so it, so hand in hand with that, because the goal of the uh, the mandate of the Hoffman Center for the Arts is, is, is um, education and mm-hmm. community, bringing community together and giving pe- people places mm-hmm. to um, to learn. Um, I started a horticultural art series there, nice. where we bring in speakers. Uh, and so far, I've I've had uh, two people so far, and attendance has been mind blowing. Um, so great, yeah. Uh, Linda Butler, who is one of the great clematis experts in the Northwest, and uh, former only American to ever be president of the International Clematis Society. Uh-huh. Can you imagine them uh-huh. letting a yank in? <laughs> uh, we well, don't even say it right. Right. So <laughs> right. Exactly. So you know what? What was it? A, a, a ten o'clock presentation on a rainy Saturday morning. Hell, we had like almost forty people there. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I know we announced it on the show. Oh, thank you yeah. for doing that. No, it's well, but about yeah. it. I think what what that really shows is that you're creating something that people are hungry for here. And they're interested and they're passionate about. And that, to me, is like when you bring that kind of passion and excitement to a project, people get excited and they welcome that. I think it can be really – and it's so appropriate what you're doing. I mean, people love gardening here. They love growing things. Um, They love nature. I mean, that's partly why people – live out here and so creating something like that I think is so wonderful and having that demonstration of like these things can grow here Mm -hmm. I think is wonderful because people will often have a very narrow view of like well I can only grow these plants exactly these are the only ones that are going to survive broadening broadening that um that perspective yeah also I I think it's so exciting that the Hoffman Center for the Arts is um putting time and energy with your help into showing one of the arts, the garden art? Absolutely. I mean, the, art, the yeah. support from the Hoffman Center has been fantastic. I mean, no one ever challenged, well, wait a minute, is gardening an art? Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then when you get, when you broaden it beyond gardening to horticulture, and so you're you're not just talking about hands-on stuff, but you're talking about learning about plants themselves, or you're perhaps, you know, we'll be talking about design, mm-hmm. um, pruning, bonsai. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate bonsai, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I mean, it, it. It. You know, there's so there's so much art 
in in the world of horticulture, and it's it's just amazing to be able to have a, a place to celebrate that. Definitely. It is really wonderful. Yeah. I just want to remind people, I, I didn't do a break at halfway through the show because oh, yeah. I'm so sucked into talking to you. But um, we are speaking today with Ketzel Levine. She's a new resident of Manzanita, starting a horticulture program at the Hoffman Center for the Arts in Manzanita. And um, you have a program coming up. She does. It looks like Thursday, May 2nd, 1 to 2.30 p.m. You have a, a new informed gardener. Linda Chalker-Scott is coming. Um Tell us about it. Well, uh, this is, um, Linda is a myth buster. I kind of love, I love that. I love some (laughs) of the myths she's busting just on this poster. Right. So, for instance, um, gravel in a pot helps drainage. Okay. Shrubs thrive in amended holes. Wilting leaves equal thirsty plants. And when in doubt, use natives. So if I said that in kind of an authoritative voice, sure. you would say, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I've always heard that gravel in the bottom of a pot yeah. improves drainage. Yeah. Let's yeah. amend that soil in that very narrow hole yeah, so that just, that shrub just wants to live in oh, there. Oh, yeah, just fluff it up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. just put in the manure and everything. Is there chalk outside of that? Is there clay outside right. of that? But, but right. those are really powerful like myths or ideas that people have or, about gardening. Or myths, or, yeah, or, or, or bad advice. I mean, it's just, it's been decades and who knows, centuries of yeah. bad advice. And um, uh, and I apologize to people who feel had just now by by people who may in fact think that, you know, gravel in a pot helps drain. I'm not making fun yeah. of anyone who does these. I've done them. Mm-hmm. Um and I, used I to still put broken think pieces of broken pottery in the bottom course, of a pot. Of course, of course. And I, I think there was a, after a while realizing I don't think this is doing anything. Yeah. And then I would have a pot where I didn't do that, but it's and the plant part would, of the procedure. I know. <laughs> part of the procedure. Somehow it keeps the right. hole clear. Hook up that dro- d- blue drip line. <laughs> <laughs> it's but the, but it's fascinating. Oh, you mean to the me. miracle? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those things that keep. Um, they, they persist, you know, down their hand. Those ideas right. are handed down from gardener to gardener, right. you know, and, and I don't even know where I learned about the gravel in the bottom of a pot or something like that. But I'm sure someone told it to me and I thought, oh, well, they yeah. know what they're talking about. Yeah. I must do that. And it's the, until... po- the pottery shards in the bottom of the pot. I mean, that was passed to me by almost every gardener I know. Yeah. I think it's just a way to use our broken pottery. <laughs> Maybe that's that would be clever. So um, what uh, Linda Chalker Scott in all of her books, The Informed Gardener, The Informed Gardener Blooms Again, um, and her most recent book uh, published by Timber Press, she is, it's evidence-based horticulture. And because of uh, she, because of her uh, vast experience um, in the field, she has organized everything that she's, that she's aware of in a way that makes it really accessible to people saying, Here's this assumption, and then she goes into enormous detail saying this is why this doesn't work. So mm-hmm. um, there are, I think that people who are able to attend um, will walk away with not simply kind of this sense of, aha, you know, now I'm on the inside of the of the myths, mm-hmm. but a much better understanding of why they're myths, mm-hmm. and, you know, which in turn just will turn you into a, a better gardener and pass on good information to others. Good information, and I think that is the most exciting things about these educational 
things that you're bringing here. Yeah. So again, Thursday, May 2nd, 1 to 2.30 p.m., uh, this is at the Hoffman Center in Manzanita. We can't talk about costs, but it's a very minimal charge. Right. Very, 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 very accessible. And very people can find charge. out about this at their website. At the uh, Hoffman Center for the Arts. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hoffman Center for the Arts website. Absolutely. Yeah. So check that out, yeah. and, and any upcoming programs will, will be listed on that as well. I just just wonderful that you're bringing this to the coast. I think it's... Oh, um, well. I mean, you know, it's a small thing considering what the coast is giving to me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a pebble. Our communities out here are really magic. And yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, uh, I don't want to get maudlin, but I just marvel that I ended up here. You know, I went to a, there is an astonishing series at the Hoffman on um, the art of living and, and, uh, and death and dying. Mm-hmm. There are two symposiums. Mm-hmm. I mean, then they're, and they're monthly. And um, yesterday I went to um, uh, a really impressive talk um, that was about death and dying and getting ready. Yeah. And something we will all do. Something we will all do. And I mean, it was Sally Tilsdale, who you may be familiar with. Yeah. She's just fabulous. And I, I mean, I'm saying I'm, I'm bringing this up because. You know, I have this sense of, oh, how did I end up here? Because this is where I want to end up. Yeah. And this place is, uh, it's humbling. And um, the idea of being able to build a garden, you know, offer some information about plants, excite people, give them something to live for, expand their horizons, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's the least I can do. Well, it's a wonderful gift that you're bringing to the coast. And I feel like the coast really does give back. I agree. Um, to people who, who approach it with that kind of attitude and, and that wanting to be part of community and build those connections and, and share, you know, what you know with people here. I think that's so wonderful. God, we're all such old hippies. <laughs> and young hippies. And or young middle-aged hippies. hippies. Middle-aged hippies. <laughs> There's a bunch of Excuse us that me. end up out here. Ageless hippies. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ageless hippies. I, I don't even know. It's Yeah, it is really wonderful. I, I feel very passionate about ending up here, too. I've... I've informed many people that I just I'm hopefully that I will just like have a massive heart attack next to my compost pile and they can just (laughs) kick me over into it toss a little something on top that was part of the workshop yesterday was that she had people write down how do you imagine you know the perfect death and then she had us write it on a card and put it on the wall and you know there are a lot of fantasies out there about about how to go but all of them involved uh, being outside or you know mycelium shrouds (laughs) (laughs) she talked about it she talked about the mycelium shroud beautiful yeah that would be amazing yeah Yeah. well i mean and and i think just being being a gardener working with plants working with nature at all you get used to the the life and death cycle and that's all part of it you really should tell people about the mycelium shroud if you haven't talked about it uh, uh, the, the concept that we would um, be in a suit in a suit uh, that was impregnated with mushroom spores, the mycelium, which would which would they would then they would just eat us. they would eat us they would eat us and we would be turned into, into mycelium starlight. <laughs> <laughs> well, but then presumably you could there'd be yeah, fruiting bodies com- and yes, in your composting. It's pretty fantastic. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty fantastic. I... Maybe we could do that as a demo in the Hoffman in, in the Wonder Garden. By the way, 
The garden's name is the Wonder Garden oh, nice. at the Hoffman Center for and the so Arts. And so is that open to just visit anytime? Of course, of course. Garden. It's a public garden. And, is it, and where is it located? Literally across the street from the Hoffman Center for the Arts, right on Lanita Avenue. So where they do the market? Or did the market? It's before, yeah, it's before yeah. the market. Okay. I mean, you drive into, you know, you take your right-hand turn off of 101, and you're on Lanita Avenue, and it's two blocks down. Do you have work days? Do you have volunteer days? Uh, if you give me your name, I'll put you on the email list. <laughs> but you're crazy to do it. <laughs> no, Jessica, well, Jessica is crazy. <laughs> when it comes to garden volunteering. <laughs> yes, she is. Yeah, well, you've, been, you've been gardening here, as you said, since 97. Yeah. So you are responsible for a lot of the look of this place horticulturally, yeah. which is Definitely really mind-blowing. She's probably yeah. put my hand Yeah, in. I know. yeah. Good it's for amazing. You. Good for you. I know. Well, gosh, I it's this has gone by so fast. That's all. Thank you so much My pleasure. For, for being here. It's an honor yes. to have oh, you in the it. studio. Yeah, I, I won't hear it. Stop it. it. Is. it I'm but trying it totally not to do is. it. I know. I'm trying not to do Thin it, girl. but I'm like, girl. <laughs> this was really fun. Good. Yeah, and thank you so much. And thank you for, thanks for ending up here. We're so excited. We'll, yeah, we'll have more of these conversations. You're very kind. You're very kind. No, uh, thank you all. And thanks to everyone for joining us for In Season this morning. We've been speaking with Ketzel Levine. Go check out the Hoffman Center in Manzanita and see her fantastic garden there. And, um... Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.